The scripture reading for today comes from Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Abby. Well, good morning. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we are continuing our sermon series going through the book of Colossians. And, and we're looking at kind of the thesis of our series is that Christ is supreme overall. Uh, and so the first week we looked at how that idea that Christ is supreme is the foundation of our faith. Uh, the next week, Jim looked at how Christ being some supreme creates uh, a new community of people in communion with one another. Last week, Todd taught us uh, that Christ's supremacy calls us to fidelity to the gospel message. And this week, we're going to talk about how the supremacy of Christ leads us to maturity in our faith. As I mentioned uh, at the start of the service, uh, I'm the youngest of four, and so uh, one thing that I learned about myself, and I guess I've always known about myself with this, uh, I often looked to my siblings to confirm whether or not I was mature or not. They were the ones that I kind of measured myself against, right? I was always looking up to them. I wanted them to look at me like I was serious or a man or mature, and one of the times that this really came to a head was when I was a senior in college, and I had fallen in love with um, a wonderful, wonderful person, um, Andrea, uh, and I wanted to ask her to marry me, but I was a college kid and I had no money, um, and so I scrounged up the little that I had, and over Christmas break, I worked at the restaurant a lot and tried to raise as much money as I could to buy a ring, and so... I came up short. My first thought was, well, I don't want to go to my parents. They always give me money, um, which I'm very thankful for. Very thankful for. It's a privilege that many don't have. But my thought was, I'll go to my oldest brother. He's seven years older than me. He's uh, working an engineering job the past seven years. He's got a wife and a kid. He'd have some extra money for me, right? And maybe he would lend me some money. Because he would see this is a manly thing that I'm doing. This is a mature thing that I'm, I'm going to ask someone to marry me. So I go to him. And I ask him for $500. Alone. I was going to pay him back. And he looked at me. And he said, Daniel, I don't have a problem lending you $500. In fact, I have $500 to lend you. Which was a, a flex by him, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he said, I don't want to lend you $500. <laughs> and I said, why? 
And he said, because our whole life together, you have taken my things, you have lost them, you've stolen money from me, essentially, you've never paid me back, you've been irresponsible with things. Our whole life together, what makes you think, me think that you would ever pay me back this $500 if I lent you for your ring? So, I was crushed, truly. Like, I cried. Like, I was really upset. Uh, and I thought a lot about this week why I was so upset. And the reason I was so upset was not because he was hesitant to give me the money. It was not because I just needed $500 and I was so close and I could buy that ring, which I ended up taking a credit card out and I bought it, which is not the best way to go. But um, <laughs> the reason I was so upset is because I wanted him to validate that I was mature now, that I was responsible, that I would pay him back. I wanted him to look at me and say, this is a manly, mature thing that he's going to do, and I'm going to affirm that. And I was looking to him for that affirmation. Here's why I tell you this. The road to our maturity in Christ Much like our road to personal maturity as we come to adulthood, it's a difficult one. That was a difficult moment for me to realize I'm looking to him for this thing and I'm not going to get it. Growing in maturity is not easy. It's not a straight path. It has setbacks and twists and turns. And growing in Christ also can be painful. But it's so important. It's so important. And our tendency as humans and as Christians is to look to almost everywhere to affirm our maturity in Jesus Christ other than him. Isn't it? We'll look to what we're doing. We'll look to other people, how they view us. We'll look to our standing in our community. We'll look to how wise and profound we are. And we'll say, this is emblematic of my maturity in Christ. But no. Our calling as Christians is to look to Jesus Christ and how he views us for our maturity. So what is maturity in Christ? It's this. I I think it's simply this. It's submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ in every facet of our lives. Let me say that again. Maturity in Jesus Christ is submitting to his lordship in every facet of our lives from spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and practically. And this is, a, this is a truly a struggle for me. Maybe you can relate. Um, I'll be honest. The way this affects me most is my age. I turn 30 in a month. I am a young pastor. There's no way around it. I'm young. I'm inexperienced. And this often, tru- uh, truly makes me insecure. Often with you guys. Pastors are supposed to be wise. They're supposed to be experienced. We're supposed to have all the answers. Wizened sages, right? I don't feel that way often. And most of that's because I'm not even 30 yet. Perhaps you feel that same insecurity at times. That you aren't wise enough yet. That you aren't spiritual enough yet. That you aren't taken seriously enough yet. That you aren't experienced or old enough. This is letting shame rule you, just like it's letting shame rule me when I do it. 
And there's nothing more crippling to our growth and maturity than shame for not feeling mature in Christ enough. That's an odd paradox, isn't it? But what Paul is telling us in this passage is that there's no list of rules, there's no rituals, or things that we check off to grow in maturity. Rather, he is saying that the one way that we can submit, or that we can grow in maturity is submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who's supreme over the entire created order. And we must remove ourselves as the purpose of our growth and maturity and focus on him. So this is our premise today. We must look only to Christ Jesus and his rule over our lives for our gospel, uh, for our gospel maturity. We're going to see three reasons why we must do that. First, Christ's substance is the foundation for our growth. Second, Christ's body is the avenue for that growth. And three, Christ's death is the power for that growth and maturity. Before we dive into this passage, will you pray with me? Father, we, um, many of us, come this morning feeling less than, feeling shame, insecurity, inexperience. And God, we, we lay that at your feet this morning. That's not what you have for us. What you have for us is your goodness and your grace and your love. Make that real to us this morning as we go through this passage. Remind us of that goodness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first, Christ's substance is the foundation for maturity. So Paul says this in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or, or the Sabbath. And what was happening in the, in the church of Colossae at this time was, and we've mentioned this a couple of times, that, that, that there was a, a, a faction that was gaining influence within the body of Christ there. And this faction was um, telling the rest of the Christians in Colossae, hey, to grow, to become more wise, to become more spiritual, you need to do these things. You need to follow these rules. You need to follow these rituals and these practices. Um, and, and they were extra biblical in and of themselves. They weren't even biblically oriented. And they said, if you follow and do these things, you'll grow. If you buy into our philosophy, you'll become more wise and spiritual and mature. And say, you don't eat these things. Don't drink these things. Deprive yourself of these things. And make sure you go to every festival, every ceremony, every thing that we say, and then you'll become a good Christian. And I, and I really feel for the Christians in the Colossian church. I mean, the, I, I, I don't think that they were being misled because they wanted to be. They, they wanted to actually grow. They wanted to become more mature in Christ. They wanted to be a powerful witness to the gospel in a pagan city, and they wanted to know how to do that. But this group was promoting nothing more than legalism. Sinclair Ferguson defines legalism this way. Legalism means either seeking salvation on the basis of obedience to the law or believing that every detail of life is covered specifically by some law. Now, I don't know if this faction was promoting legalism uh, in this kind of these rituals and these practices as a way of earning your salvation. Uh, but they for sure were saying that every single detail of your life needed to follow what we're saying or you wouldn't grow. That in and of itself is legalism. And, and this happens in our, our Christian circles often, doesn't it, too? The amount of times that I feel like I have been shamed for not going to certain conferences, going to certain uh, 
places and things by other Christians. The times that I felt shamed and judged uh, for even things like be- getting baptized again when I've been baptized once before, saying the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again just to make sure you're saved. These are all byproducts of similar things that happen in our own Christian circles today. And Paul will go on later to completely denounce this philosophy from Colossians. Uh, but in the meantime, what he's saying here is that this legalism that they're promoting is not the gospel. That's why he says in verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Legalism is nothing more than a shadow. And what's sadder is that this shadow is something that they actually already have in Jesus Christ. The substance of him. They're trading that substance a true and intimate and fulfilling relationship for a shadow. Maturity does not equal legalism. So, a couple times a week, I get to come home uh, from work, and something really special happens. Uh, My wife and two-year-old daughter will be sitting on the porch. And we'll do this thing. If they're sitting on the porch, well, my dog will be up there too. And so he's the fastest. Uh, I'll park the car. My dog will run down the sidewalk, and I'll kind of push him away. Um, Shouts to Monty. I love him. But um, I'll watch my two-year-old. She'll climb down the steps, the first one and the second one. And then all of a sudden, and I'll I'll wait. Like, I'm I'm not walking at all. Like, I'm standing. She runs down the sidewalk, like runs, for, for a baby, so not fast, but <laughs> it's cute, and she's got this huge smile on her face, and she's just running at me, and I just stand there, and I kind of bend over just a little bit, and I hold my hands out, and she jumps into my arms, and she buries her face into my neck, and man, it is the highlight of my week when that happens, and I was thinking this week, you know, babies are curious about stuff. She's seen my shadow before, right? She's seen her own shadow, and she thinks it's interesting. And she's, like, kind of waved at it. I think she touched her own one time. How ridiculous would it be if she ran down that sidewalk and pounced on my shadow rather than on me? Ridiculous, right? She would miss out the substance of her father, And when we pursue legalism for our maturity in Christ Jesus, that's exactly what we're doing. Our good and gracious Father is there bending over, and he wants us just to run into his arms. He's probably a better father than me. He actually probably runs to us. Uh, (laughs) That's very selfish of me. But um, imagine if she jumped on the shadow. She would never do that because she knows as a two-year-old, that the substance of her father is so much better than the shadow. So let's talk about that for us by way of application. What does it mean for us to cling to the substance of Jesus Christ and not the shadow for our maturity? This legalistic shadow. Well, I think it starts this way. The foundation for your growth and maturity in Jesus Christ is first and foremost understanding, embracing his grace and not legalism. 
It's accepting and understanding the fact that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you, do, you can do to become more wise, more mature, more respected, or taken more serious if you do not have the person and work of Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit change who you are on a daily basis. That grace to wash over you every single day. Grace means that there's not a checklist of rituals and nothing you can do to become more mature in Christ, but it rather looks like submitting yourself more and more every day to his lordship over every aspect of your life, first and foremost. And if you do buy into that shadow, you may grow into yourself, you may grow in influence, you may grow even in the sight of your peers, but you will not grow in the knowledge, love, and goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. The first step to growing in maturity is growing in that grace. Second, the foundation for our growth and maturity is a simple and childlike faith. I don't think I ever understood what it meant to have a childlike faith until I had a child. And she was dependent on me for everything. And that's a scary thought because it's me. But for us... In our childlike faith, what that means is that we are dependent on Jesus Christ for everything. From the breaths that we take, from the steps to our daily walk with one another in community and by ourselves, dependence on Jesus Christ in a childlike and simple way is how we are going to grow in maturity in him. Now, is that not paradoxical? Do you see your faith that way? And then third and finally, if we cling to the gospel in this through Jesus' grace in a childlike and simple way as the foundation of our growth, what's going to result is this, assuredness. Paul says in verse 16, to let no one pass judgment on you in regards to these things. What he's saying is that maturity in Christ will lead you to assure assuredness in his love and in his grace and what he calls you to, regardless of pressure, judgment, manipulation. Legalism always leads to sinful judgment because it creates an environment where some people are doing these things and some people aren't, and they're good and they're not. The gospel says that in Jesus Christ it's finished. That we are loved and accepted by him no matter what. And that is where our assuredness comes from. A sign of gospel maturity is being able to take criticism, healthy or unhealthy, without defensiveness, Accepting where you need correction, denying what is untrue because your foundation is not in your own worth but in Jesus Christ on the cross for you. A mature faith is one that is assured without a shadow of a doubt in the love and grace and right standing before the king. And that leads us to our second point. So we must look to the lordship of Jesus in our lives for our growth and gospel maturity. And we do this because his substance is the foundation for growth. And now we're going to see that his body is the avenue for that growth. So our, our first point was mainly about our own personal growth and internally how to grow in gospel maturity. And the second point will actually lead us to look outside of ourselves. That our growth happens not in isolation but in community. So that the body of Christ is the avenue for our faith to flourish and grow. That's why Paul says this in verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reasons by sensuous minds. And Paul is brilliant, as always, but I especially love what he does here. 
He points to a few things, but the heart of what he's saying is this. The people of Colossian, of the Colossian church, are pitting themselves. This faction is pitting themselves against the rest of the body. They're putting themselves over and against one another, and not for the benefit of the rest of the body, but at the sake of the rest of the body and for their own. And asceticism is this. It's a severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. So if you think about severe self-discipline and avoidance of all personal forms of indulgence, that's a uniquely individual and isolating thing. Is it not? It's a focus only on yourself, what you are doing, what you are eating, what you are indulging in, where you are going. Funny enough, what they're trying to avoid, self-indulgence, is exactly what they're doing by focusing only on themselves and then calling others to do the same. He mentions visions here, and visions are actually also a uniquely individual thing too, right? It's a thing that you only experience yourself and then you tell others about. And the Holy Spirit certainly uses visions to work uh, often, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But they were using these individual, individual visions to pit themselves against others in a uniquely individual and isolating way. And he's saying that this philosophy is so obsessed with the self that it both ignores the rest of the body and fills them up with arrogance. This is why he says in verse 19, they were not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. This faction is not putting Jesus as the focus of their philosophy, of their rituals, of their practices. They're putting themselves at the expense of everyone else. They were hurting the body in doing this. They weren't holding fast to Jesus Christ, but rather puffing themselves up. Um, It took me uh, until I was 16. 16 years old until I went through puberty. So I was a tiny kid, like five foot tall going into my sophomore year. I grew eight inches uh, the summer after my sophomore year. It was wild. Um, But when you grow that fast, and you're, I was playing soccer like 300 days a year. When you grow that fast and you're that active, uh, a lot of times your ligaments and joints get messed up. And I had a ligament disease called osgood Schlatter's. It's a fancy term that I did not like knowing about when I was a kid because it was super painful. What happens with Osgood Schlatter's is this. Your growth plate in your knee grows faster than the ligament that connects your thigh to your leg. So this means you have a bone pushing through a ligament. And man, it was so painful. Like, I couldn't walk sometimes. When I laid down, it hurt. I couldn't sleep. My, you know, two-mile run that we did at tryouts was, like, super slow. I mean, it hurt so bad. It crippled me in a lot of ways. And I think this is exactly what Paul is saying here that the faction in Colossians is doing. Ligaments, bones, joints. God created our body to all work harmoniously together. And just like my growth plate was puffed up in a way that it wasn't intended to, it crippled the rest of the body. 
And Paul is saying this faction is puffing itself up. And so that the ligaments and the joints that are the rest of the body are being severely hurt by it. They're wreaking havoc on the rest of the body of Christ. Claiming maturity and growth, but really it's only for their sake. And these verses, they do it through two ways. They do it through arrogance and isolation. And I'm someone... I'm someone who has struggled my entire life with hiding my shame behind a veneer of arrogance. And because of that, I can promise you that nothing can and will break community like arrogance will. The more you hold your spirituality and your walk with Jesus over and above others, making you better and them less important, the more you will leave a wake of people hurt in your path. Arrogance, whether personally or in your spiritual walk, is nothing more than a veneer. It's actually the absence of maturity. Let me say this again. Arrogance is the absence of maturity. And if you want proof, you look no further than Jesus Christ. Who was the picture of humility and yet was the most spiritually mature person on the planet. Never once lorded it over others at their own expense for his sake. Arrogance can have the shadow of maturity, but it's not true maturity. Keller says it this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Your faith will grow in maturity not by thinking less of yourself, but by thinking of yourself less. Many of you probably don't struggle with arrogance, but perhaps you can resonate more with this. Isolation. Isolation can also look a lot like maturity, right? Being aloof, standing apart, can look like we have our stuff together, that we are important, that we are mature. But isolation both hinders our own personal growth, and it also hinders the growth of the wider body. Growth happens in community and not in isolation, and here's why. Community leads to openness and true connection. Isolation leads to distrust and fear. Community leads to honesty. Isolation, dishonesty. Community makes space for everyone. Isolation removes space for anyone else other than yourself. Community creates intimacy. Isolation creates distance. Community leads to true maturity in Christ, while isolation leads to a false sense of maturity. So the question is this, where are you isolating? Where are you fearful of being known, and where is that causing you to isolate yourself? Here's the truth. The less we are known by those that we are in community with, the less that we are known to one another, the less our body as a whole will grow together. And many of you do this so well. I, man, I've, I've been here for three years, and I feel like the way that some of you create space for community with one another has taught me more in my three years than any other time in my entire life. And that is incredible. And yet there are still some of us that isolate, that stand apart, that are aloof with one another. 
What would it look like for us to continue to break down those walls, to continue to break down those barriers? Bring others into your stuff and allow space for them to bring you into theirs and see where Jesus meets you in those places. See where his grace and love flows, because it will. Um, sorry, my button came off of my shirt. I apologize about that. As you all all watch me rebutton that. One commentator puts it this way. Uh, Colossians reminds us that holding fast to Christ as the head means that believers are not on a journey of individualistic spirituality, but have become members of a community in which they need to live together in love and be accountable to one another in public worship. And in this community, spiritual growth is not a private preoccupation, but it's a corporate matter. It's the thing we do together. Genuine growth that comes from God and is a result of authentic adherence to Christ as a head is recognized by the way in which the whole body functions helpfully as its members work together to provide nourishment and support for one another. It's not a private preoccupation. It's a corporate manner. That means that our growth is not a private preoccupation. Our maturity is not a private preoccupation. It's a corporate manner. Man. Okay, so we've seen that we must look to Christ's alone, uh, his supremacy, uh, in every facet of our life for our growth and maturity. And we've seen that uh, it's because his substance is the foundation for our growth. We've seen that it's because the body of Christ is the avenue through which that happens. And now we're going to see it's the death of Jesus that is the power that fuels that maturity. Paul says this in verses 20 to 23. He says, if with Christ you died through the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste Referring to things that have all perished as they are used. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. And here's the kicker. Listen to this. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What Paul is saying here is he's like, look, you're promoting these rituals and this practice and this legalism because you're saying it's going to keep you from indulging in yourself. It's going to keep you from sinning. It's going to keep you from doing all of these wrong things. And he's like, it's not even working. You're killing yourself trying to stop your flesh and it's not working. And the reason it's not working is because there's no power there. The power is in the death of Jesus Christ, in which that we participated in. Look at this verse from Romans. It says this. Paul says, uh, if with Christ you died, and uh, he's alluding to this, and he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order, have you got that verse? Yeah, there it is. Okay, good. He says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Sin makes no sense for us because Christ died so that we would be free from its power over us. And I, I, I don't... One thing that I'm worried about in preaching this is saying that spiritual practices 
and disciplines and what we do doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. Our spiritual disciplines, our spiritual practices, walking through the worship service, they are so important to our maturity in faith. They are so important to our maturity in faith. But the power that fuels those practices, this worship service is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if our practices, if the table, if our worship, if, if the word is not preached that Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that the power of sin might be broken, if we're not preaching that, if we're not living that, if our practices don't embody that, then we're not going to grow in faith. And that is what Paul is telling us. Our practices matter. They do shape us. But only if they are with Christ Jesus at the head. And that is what this faction got wrong. And that is what we are committed to Hope Chapel not getting wrong. And I know that you guys are too. And this opens up a lot of stuff in us. It really does. And I'm, when we do work with our sin and remind ourselves of the death that Jesus died so that we could have freedom from it, it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard. But man, we're going to grow. And we'll continue to grow. Philip Yancey says this, the proof of spiritual maturity is not how pure you are, but how aware you are of your impurity. That awareness opens the door to grace. Man. There did um, come a time when... Um, my siblings took me seriously. And I grew up, and my adult relationships with my siblings is probably one of my favorite and most important aspects of my life. And we live in community together often. And I couldn't be more thankful for them, all three of them. And there were significant others and their children. Um, And it's been a blessing engaging with them in that way. But it wasn't until I started putting my stock and the way they viewed me and putting it in my standing with Jesus Christ that I grew up and I grew in my faith. And that same thing is true for us. And what I love about this table that we come to every single week is that we, we, we actually, as a body, We cannot come to this table without being reminded of what the purpose of this whole thing that we do is. The body of Jesus Christ that we all partake together, that we break, that we eat, is an astounding reminder every single week that Jesus, his death, brought sin onto his body. It was broken for us so that we might have life. And that his blood was shed on the cross so that we might have his grace and forgiveness. And it creates this, what we're doing together. It creates a new community, a new self together. This table, if you think about it, is an avenue for growth and maturity for the body. Because it's only about Jesus Christ and this new community that is created in him.